for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy virus season, everybody. Today is March 24th, 2020, and today's guest is Dan Infall. All right, all right. Today we have Dan Infall on the podcast, like I said earlier. And for all of you out there that don't know who Dan is, you really need to look him up and you need to listen to this podcast because... He's a wealth of knowledge. He has been around a long time doing things in the whitetail world at a very high level. I look up to Dan. I've been following Dan for the last couple years. And he comes from Wisconsin. And he does a lot of public land hunting. But he does do a lot of private land hunting as well. And today we're going to be talking about hunting in ag areas. So, you know, not big timber necessarily, but in you know, farm country, little woodlots here and there, wooded fence rails, but like big ag country. So it's something that I am really intrigued in, obviously, because my one acre farm is all in ag country. So I wanted to pick his brain and boy, did I learn a lot. I was actually taking notes as I, as we're recording this. So I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to want a piece of paper and a pencil to take all this notes because you're going to have to probably listen to it a couple times. But we talk a lot about a lot of things, you know, when it comes to hunting bucks in egg country. Like I said, you know, like where they bed in these small acres. I mean, we talk about even one acre size to 10 acre size. So it's, it's the small acres that we're talking about and how deer use them, how they use them to bed and how to draw them out and how to get after them. There's a lot of cool information in this one. I recommend, like I said, get something you can take notes uh, because there's a lot of information in here. So with that being said, I do have to pay the bills here and I do want you guys to know about some promo codes that we are still running over at uh, Humanimal. So the first one is if you guys are looking for a new safety harness this year, go to huntersafetysystem.com and type in Kiefer Bros 19 to save 20% off. So K-E-E-F-E-R-B-R-O-S-19-1-9 uh, to get 20% off there. Next is Vapor Trail. So if you guys are looking for anything from Vapor Trail, go there, get 10% off by also typing in Kiefer Bros 19 And then if you guys are looking for an awesome box blind to hunt with a bow or a rifle out of or a crossbow, whatever you guys want to do, uh, go to Banks Outdoors and then type in Keef, K-E-E-F, one nine for ten percent off, and don't forget America's best bowstrings. Um, type in Humanimal twenty two zero at the end. Uh, so H U M A N I M A L two zero to save ten percent off your orders ninety nine dollars and over. And lastly, for the most comfortable tree stands and the best tree stands in my opinion out there, go to MillenniumTreeStands.com and 
type in KB5 for 5% off Millennium Tree Stand. So that's it. Now we can keep the lights on. With that being said, let's get over this interview with Dan and get this thing cranking. All right, today on the podcast, I have a new guest, Dan Enfault, coming from Wisconsin. Dan, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You know, for a lot of listeners out there that, uh, you know, my listeners that might not know you, could you just kind of give a brief bio of who you are and and what you do with the Hunting Beast Forum and basically just kind of, I mean, you're a legend, honestly. (laughs) So I've been following you for a while. (laughs) So in my eyes, you've done a lot of good things for me and and uh, I want to help spread the word and doing what you're doing. Uh, I run the Hunt and Beast, uh, which is a, a forum-based website. Uh, it's been around for a lot of years um, where people talk tactics. And it's not like uh, the other forums. We don't allow any bashing of any sort or any putting people down. We just get rid of those people. So it's a real clean forum, good for kids, good for anybody wanting to be a better hunter. Uh, it's more tactics based. I mean, we go off topic a little bit on different threads, but, uh, the main focus is, uh, whitetail tactics. Um, and then I have, um, you know, the, the normal Facebook pages and stuff that are associated, um, with the hunting beast. And, uh, I guess the biggest thing I got going is my YouTube page. That's pretty cool. Got some really good videos on there that are tactical that show you how I go about, uh, hunting deer and uh figure them out and i run hunt beast gear um so we make uh tree stands and climbing sticks and such that's awesome and i i actually got to not try your climbing sticks out but i got to hold them and play around with them a little bit and those things are legit i'm telling you for the the mobile guy those things are not even just the mobile guy but mobile in, in general those things i really like them you you hit uh, all the nails on the head there i believe when you when you did that and I, I really think they'd be beneficial, so I, that was really cool. Thanks. But, uh, yeah, t- to to get into today's topic, and I kind of briefly, you know, talked to you about it a little bit before we started recording, but I was telling you about how I have a unique situation here in Michigan, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, so a lot of my listeners are kind of aware of the the farm that we're going to talk about, but it's it's all ag. I mean, they're big ag country um little woodlots here and there wooded fence rows and you know little spots of just little timber and the thing is is the 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 mile section that I, that I'm in it's only me and maybe one or two other bow hunters that actually bow hunt the mile section so that's pretty good for here in Michigan but once gun season comes around it's a little different story so i mean every guy is you see orange all over but um Believe it or not, I actually get better deer on camera and encounters, whether it be an age class or a better antler size, um, on this piece of ground than I do on my family piece of ground that's only 15 minutes away and it's big timber. So I guess my first question to you is, you know, why is hunting big farm country bucks so appealing to people, in in your opinion? I have no idea. Probably because in farm country you see more deer. Um, you, you know, you can be in the same kind of terrain in, in, uh, woods or hill country and have a deer a hundred yards from you and never see it. Right. But in farm country, usually the way you're hunting, you see a lot of deer because you see for a distance and they're attracted to the food. So there's a lot more action in farm country. I gotcha. So, you know, taking about, let's say a 10 acre piece of, of timber, let's just say 10 acres or less. And now that's really small. But, uh, you know, with ag fields all the way around it, you know, I know the crop rotation can change and, and you know, it, it can leave for better access and, you know, entry and exit with if it's standing corn. But let's say it is all crops that aren't corn and you're trying to access this, you know, entry and exit. Like, what is the best way to go into a piece, like a small piece like that, thinking that there's probably going to be deer in the timber? But, like, what is the best way to access it, do you think, then, um, even if there's not really a lot of topography changes as well, if it's just kind of, like, flatter ground? Well, the biggest thing is you have to know where the deer are bedding. Because deer in farm country um, usually set up to um, know when you're there. And, uh, like, earlier you were talking about uh, the pressure you have there um, and how heavy the pressure is during gun season and, and, and such. 
you know, those deer are not getting to be four or five years old without learning how to deal with that pressure. So if you got that many gun hunters in that area, they're learning where to hide and, and how to hide in that terrain. So um, I think the mistake most people make is they just go try and hunt the stuff. Like they say, oh, I know they're in that block of woods and, you know, everybody's hunting every block of woods around here and I want to give them a little sanctuary. So we'll just call that the sanctuary and we'll hunt the outside of that woods. That's the mistake most people make because when they go on in there, those deer know when they're there. Um, now, I hunt a, a property that uh, sounds a lot like yours. It's got a small, like, five-acre square woods in the center. Um, and it's mostly open fields. Um, what we do, and, and I suggest this with other people, too, is we set up a lot of perimeter stands, like, to the very outside of the property. Not really in such kill positions, but more to see into key areas. And then maybe we'll put a little tiny food plot underneath it just so you have a half-assed chance. But it's really an observation stand. And then we kind of stay out of the areas except for the ob- to observe until we see a shooter buck um, in a pattern. And then we go in for the kill. And what, what you're going to learn is that these bucks in that type of terrain and, and with, with uh, any kind of pressure, and it doesn't really have to be pressure because this comes right back from their instincts from wolves and everything else is they in those woodlots like you're explaining those small 10, five acre woodlots with tree lines and stuff. They tend to put the trees to their back and the wind to their back and they watch an opening. So they get to the edge of a field someplace and watch that field downwind of them. And they'll tend to want to watch your access. So when you show up, they don't come out that day or they go out the back of the woods or, um, but they're observing you, you know, they're, they'll, I found uh, a lot of cases where I'll look at somebody's property where the best buck bedding will be set up to observe where that person parks and walks into hunt every, every time it goes there, you know, um, having different accesses in there, having hidden spots to get like, like to get to your stand hidden is an important thing, you know, without them knowing you're there and knowing, and knowing the bedding. Yep. And I I like, you know, what you said there about, you know, the bucks usually kind of, I've heard in the past anyway, that you've talked about deer bedding on like the edges. Like a lot of people think that they're right in the middle. Now I've actually mm-hmm. noticed that on a, a one acre patch of timber that I have. Um, I had a four-year-old that I was hunting two years ago and, uh, I was actually hunting him in. I set up in a fence around in a morning. I didn't want to push in to the timber. It was actually gun season. I figured he'd be in this one acre timber, so I just kind of set off um, with the wind kind of cutting him. Like coming, it was coming from me, but it was like just off. It was a just off wind for him, so I knew I was yep. going to be fine. And he would have been coming in the standing beans out in front of me coming into the wind. So I felt like I was perfect, but I didn't know if he was in there or not. I had to have the mindset of like, okay, he's going to be in there. I have to just, you know, try to get in as close as I could. I went in early in the morning in the dark, um, sat down and he never came out. So curiosity got the best of me after I sat a couple hours, didn't see any deer. Curiosity got the best of me, and I ha- I'd been on the road actually hunting out-of-state stuff for a couple weeks, and I'm like, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't have the a hand on the pulse of the, what the farm was doing. So it was snow on the ground. I wanted to walk up, and this is where I made the mistake. I wanted to walk up and see what was coming out of the timber into the beans. Um, and when I walked up there, I got to about 20 yards and I was looking looking at 20 yards from the timber and I looked up and he stood up out of his bed at 20 yards and he ran away and I could see it was him and he was running away from me. I'm trying to get a shot. Obviously, I mean, he was gone in the blink of an eye. So I was immediately mad, but I went in there and I'm like, I'm okay. I'm, this is going to be a learning experience. I'm going to go in there and there's fresh snow on the ground. I want to figure out what he was doing. Well, just what you said is what he did. What he did is he come in and he, he kind of did like a, what they say, like a J hook. Um, and I haven't experienced this too much, but like a J hook into the bed. But I went back and look at what the wind was doing. And he walked in using the wind to his advantage. And he put his back against a big oak tree. 
And the oak tree was actually between him and I when I was walking up to him. But my wind, when I started getting more to like, let's say his south, the wind was start. He <coughs> smelt me. He didn't see me or heal me. He smelt me first. And he was bedding. It was like the highest spot in this little one acre piece of timber. And it was the biggest oak tree. And he was just back up against it. And I learned a lot. And it's refreshing to hear you say that because it just kind of, you know, nails home the point that this is what they're doing. Um, because I guess what I try to do when I'm going into each one of these timbers is I'm, I, I got to go in the mindset that there's deer in there. Um, I feel like that's, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I, I, is that right or wrong? Is that the kind of mindset you got to have? Oh yeah, of course. So what would be the best way? I mean, I know this is probably a pretty broad question, but like if it's a flat timber, let's say it's a, you know, four or five acre timber, it's flat, not a lot of change in topography at all. Just, and not a lot of edge. It's just kind of open. Like where are you trying to find the best bedding? Are you just looking for beds in general? And then you're just kind of making a mental note. So when I'm scouting or when I'm hunting, when you're, when you're scouting. Okay. So when I'm scouting, I'm going to, I'm going to look at the edges. I'm I'm going to walk the perimeter and I'm going to walk the perimeter that the edges are going to include the tree lines. Um, they're going to include a little brush off to the side and uh, they're going to include interior transitions. So you might have a, you know, like a break inside the woods. that's a swamp or something. They might be bedding on the edge of that too. Um, basically when you get the flat land elevation is more important than you think. Yep. It's the, it's the highest spot or the lowest spot that's not underwater is usually where the beds are. Um, which when you say that most people go, well, my land's flat. Nothing is perfectly flat. There's going to be a little bit of elevation change. And, uh, that struck home when you mentioned that buck you were talking about. She was at that oak tree, the highest point, right? Yep. And, and almost, almost with certainty, if there's any kind of cover at the spot, you'll find good beds at the highest elevation of flatland and the lowest elevation of flatland that's not underwater. So those two spots in the transitions are, are basically what I would key in on. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense too, because this spot was just a knoll, literally a knoll about the size of a deer, a little bit bigger than a deer. And, you know, a lot of people like myself included, wouldn't think that'd be a transition change really. Cause you're looking for a big, like a hill or a draw or something, you know, um, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so that's, that's you know, refreshing to hear you say that as well. So let's say, you know, you're a big mobile hunter. So you, you go in with a stand on your back and you're hanging and you're hunting a lot. Um, are you still doing the same thing in these little, you know, patches of timber? Uh, or are you doing more of a set stand kind of thing and just coming back to it? My set stands are, are mainly observation stands, but like when I, the farm that I have up the street, that's 70 acres, I have set stands all over the place in there. Some of them, it's the only tree you can be in for, for, to hunt a certain spot. But I hunt those like, like a, like a portable stand. Um, I don't think there's a stand on that farm that I've hunted more than three times in a year. Really? Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, and with that said, um, we, uh, we got one stand that, uh, I think it was hunted, uh, twice. And I sat in another stand and watched a buck come out, sneak out, walk out and look at that stand and you can't see that stand. So he knew that there was a hunter there at one point in time. I watched him look for the hunter. They learn those stands so quick. They learn them like, like we look at sign. They smell where we've been. Mm-hmm. and just like we see a rub for, you know, a whole season, they smell us for probably a week, you know, where we've been, that trail. Just because you don't leave tracks or something doesn't mean a deer don't know you were there. So they figure you out. So, you know, that mobile thing is huge. But now when you look at that farm, um, it's only 70 acres, and it probably got 15 stands on there or something, right? that are in set positions. Cause when you put a stand up, you just leave it there. Right. If you put another one up, you, you know, on, on, on private land. So it's amazing to me that when I look back that all the uh, bigger bucks that I've shot on that farm or any farm for that matter that I've hunted over the years, 
have almost always come from an aggressive move, a first sit, a mobile move, or the first time I sat the stand that I put up. Okay. However, the majority of bucks I shoot come out of a permanent stance. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you get to a certain age class, I no longer kill them out of those permanent stands. Okay. And it's not by choice. I mean, I mean, I look at the, I, I've, I've, uh, actually, uh, laid it all out and did, uh, um, like a skew, a graphic yep. of it. And out of my top 10 bucks, I think one of them was out of a stand that I, or one or two were out of stands that I had hunted pri- uh, prior. Okay. But like eight or 80% of them that were over four years old were shot the first time I ever sat a spot. But then when I looked at like, uh, the next 10 bucks down that were under that four years old range, but we're still like mountainers. Yep. But you're, you know, like you're just a shooter. Right. right? Yep. Yep. But you're going to mount it, you know, like a nice 10 pointer, but not a giant. Yep. Those bucks came out of those, those stands that are permanent. Wow. The majority of the time, because that's the majority of the time where you're sitting. Yep. But those big bucks, they pattern you and they figure you out. And people don't get that. I mean, they'll, they'll listen to them, yeah, 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 I get it. But they don't really get it. I mean, it is to a degree like you wouldn't believe. I mean, you go in there in wintertime and there's snow on the ground and you look at the giant buck tracks and walk through your, your woodlot thinking about you got 70 acres here that's pretty open and you got 15 stands on here. And watch that buck walk across that whole farm and never go within range of one of those trees. That's not an accident. <laughs> right. Especially when those those stands are in trees where they need to be, like the little funnels, the tight spots where they come out of bedding. If they can get through there without going by one of those trees, it's not an accident. So it's usually those aggressive moves when, when you kill them. And a lot of times I think, you know, there's deer that watch you climb those trees and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Because they set up for that. They set up to watch you, you know. The biggest mistake guys make on farm farmland, by far, is they wait to hunt a food source adjacent to woods for the wind to be in their face. So they want the wood wind blowing out of that woods to their face. What is that? Where, how does that put the deer bedding? The downwind side of that wood lot yep. looking at the field. Mm-hmm. It pains me to hear you say that because I had that scenario last year. And the reason I didn't, I had this buck pegged. I, I did like he was coming in. I'm in daylight on a little food plot. Like you had talked about earlier, how you put a little bit of food in and just maybe a stroke of luck. That's where, you know, on the edge. So I I had a little edge food plot. I mean, it wasn't even an eighth of an acre. It was right on the edge of where the ag meets the timber. And it was where trees didn't grow in the timber. It was like kind of on an inside corner. And the the t- the ag this year was there was standing beans to the south of it and then the field to the east of it was all it was winter wheat that would you know straw that had already been harvested so it was nothing it was just a barren field well this deer was coming in through the west the the timbers to the west it's only five acre, four or five acres of timber coming through the timber hitting the food source going to the beans but the thing was is he was only coming in when it was a terrible wind for my stand so I, I got aggressive one night and I actually moved around to the other side of the food plot and actually made like a little makeshift kind of in the weeds. I just got down on my on my butt really and just hopefully he would show up. And I had some does come in and he never showed up. But I couldn't hunt that stand because there's not a lot of good trees for stands around there. And the one good one I had was he wasn't coming in on that wind. So in that scenario, I mean is there something that you can do a little differently to try to, to, to get out of him a little bit better or, you know, make your odds a little better? You know, every, every situation is different. Um, but for me, what I really like to do is, um, I'm, I'm, I take it that you're, you're seeing him by trail camera, right? That's how you knew he was coming through. Yep. Yep. So for, for me, I think a, a, an observation is a good thing. Like if I know he's coming through there, um, getting back and getting in a place where I can see down into there from a distance with, with optics Yep. and watching before I go in and seeing where he's getting up from where he's coming from and then looking at, okay, if this is what he's doing on this wind, 
where can I get to and how do I, how can I get there? Maybe you got to crawl with a tree in line with you or something. And I've mm-hmm. done that. Yep. You, you know, but you have to know that you have to have that knowledge and to just say, well, you, you know, you got to do this or you got to do that would be stupid. I, I think what you got to do <laughs> is know what's going on. Yep. You know what I mean? You got to get that Intel. And then that's not to say, um, there's been plenty of times I've sat back and watched a deer come through a field a certain way and you go in there and you hunt and he comes in a different way and busts you. Mm-hmm. It happens. But even if, even if your odds are one in four that you see him do something the next day, you go sit there on the same wind. If your odds are one in four, that's a hell of a lot better odds than any place else you hunt. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. And I know I kind of hit you with a loaded question because every scenario is different, like you said, and you just kind of, I feel like you kind of got to adapt anyway and just try to find, I like the idea of, of sitting back and glassing because I can do that on that farm. It's so wide open. Um, and just, you know, it's, you always get that thought like, man, I should probably be in a stand somewhere, but like sitting back and glassing can, can be the, the, the move that really, you know, gets them down on the ground, you know, like just helping you move in yep. and, and getting that last little piece of intel. I totally get that. So the same farm, I have a, a question about some scrapes. The same farm, you know, four or five acres of timber, there was like 16 wide open scrapes on the edge of the, the ag into the, you know, the field edge basically. What is mm-hmm. your take on those scrapes? I mean, one are the deer hitting them in the daylight or are those after dark? Like, you know, when you get that many scrapes or not even that many, just some good, you know, good open scrapes on field edges. What do you first think? I guess when it's a smaller timber like that. Okay. What I'm looking at is I see those scrapes and I know there's a deer on the property. That's what I know. Yep. If I see big tracks in them, it gets me a little excited. If I see some big rubs near them, it gets me a little excited. But, um, the proximity to bedding is what's going to tell me whether or not it's a kill spot. Uh, um, most of the time, areas with a lot of deer sign are not the kill spots. That's not to say not sometimes they are. I mean, when you're talking to farms that small, and, they, and if you can assume it came out of that five acres, hey, maybe they are going to make that there in daylight that it, maybe it is a good spot. But don't set up camp and stay there forever. Yep. Don't give it your shot and then move. Because if you think about it now, um, what do most hunters do? The, the overall majority of hunters go out and find a pile of scrapes or they find some big rubs and they set a stand over it. Are the majority of hunters knocking down big bucks every year? No. So if you hunt like everybody else, you're going to get results like everybody else. The big thing you can do different is um, if you really think you, you, know, you should hunt over that, hunt over it. But don't camp out there. Most guys will see that sign and they just can't stay away. If it don't happen day one, those two are figuring you out. And the other thing is too, I mean, you'll still get trickling um, deer coming through and stuff and, and, you know, if you come back and and hunt again and again and again, but what you're doing is you're depleting your odds for shooting that that big buck like four or older. Um, And really that's what you're after, right? Right. So, I mean, even me, you know, with the success I've had, sometimes I'm happy shooting, you know, you, you know, a really big two-year-old or, or, or a three-year-old or something, right? Yep. But you know what? I don't want to not be in the game for the Giants. Yep. I totally so get I'm it. I'm hunting the Giants, but I might take one that's like 130 or 140 class buck, but I want to be in the game for the Giants. I don't want to put myself out of it. And it's a whole different class of animal. And if you start hunting that sign or, or them spots over and over again, you, you're going to put yourself out of the game. You, you, you ever notice that a guy, if you watch guys that uh, progress as hunters, and not, I'm trying not to go off a topic, but it's just something interesting. Yeah, for if sure. If you watch them progress as hunters, um, first, I mean, they, they just want to kill a deer. And they'll do anything to kill a deer. And it's real exciting until they get a deer. And then they'll sniff the looser excitement there, and they want, to, they want to get that back so they start holding up for a buck. They get a buck, they're all excited, and now they want a bigger one. Pretty soon they, they, they get this thing where they want to shoot a couple of bucks. You know, and they're like, okay, I'm going to run to this other state, and I'm going to get one. And then they get to a point where they start shooting big bucks on a regular basis. And that's a funny situation because you'll see the guys that will get to that point where they start shooting those 125, 130-class bucks, 
every year and they just stay there forever. They never one maybe once or twice in their career they'll get a giant. But otherwise they just keep getting those three year old or, or large two year old bucks. And then you'll see the other guy who will get to that point and he'll progress to the next buck. It's because you're hunting a different animal. Just like it was hard to go from that doe to a buck at the time you did it, and from that buck to a bigger buck, going from that, that mid-range buck to a, to a mature animal is hunting a whole different animal. If you start trying to kill those in open areas on the edges of fields, um, not, not to say you can't, but you got to be a little sly about it. And you try hunting them in this, you know, the same stand over and over and over again. You kill those things. You might do it once or twice, but you're not going to do it year after year. Mm-hmm. You're not just not going to have the success. So with that said, I mean, those scrapes, maybe there's something, maybe they're not. You throw a stand at it once, give it a shot, see what happens, or throw a cell cam over it, see what happens on the cell cam. I love cell cams because. Uh, um, you get that intel right away instead of learning it after the season or after the, the events happen and thinking, oh, I should have been there. But <laughs> right, <laughs> there's quite often where I'll have a cell camera in a spot that I think there's no way a mature buck will come in here and all of a sudden one starts showing up in daylight. You know, and you're like, holy crap. Yep. You know, and then you go hunt some spot where you normally wouldn't hunt. Um, what I like them on farms is if you put those on a little tiny food plot right up against the bedding, that you don't touch that food plot. And you don't even go near that camera because it's sending the pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Until the buck you want shows up and starts bedding there. That's I because I start to I'm starting to use cell cams on this farm as well because the timber are so small and there's two areas, mm-hmm. one in each piece of timber that I know there's like a community scrape every year. Like every year there's one there, so I know I always put it there. The deer are used to the camera, and I get you know ridiculous amount of bucks on there. And what I like about farm country so much is the bucks, like especially small acres like I have, what I've seen in my area is you get a lot of different bucks on camera. Like they're just coming through, especially, you know, in those, the the pre-rut phase, you know, the first, you know, last eight days of October into November, like you just see bucks. I mean, these little woodlots can be so deadly if you can sit there and you're in the right scenario with the right wind and you're just getting bucks cruising. I love that. Um, but so that's how it kind of, how I use the cell cam. So now if you kind of answer my question, you'd put up a cell cam if you did have sign right there. So let's say, let's say you do some in, in season scouting and you find a scrape, whether it be, let's say it's just on a field edge. And are you immediately like, what are the couple couple of things that you're analyzing right there, you know, to be like, I need to be in there. You know, and I and how long does it take you to actually get back in there and and try the spot? Well, a scrape don't tell me a whole lot. It doesn't tell me, you know, just if you're just seeing the word scrape, it tells me a buck was there sometime. You know. Yep. So I'm gonna want to see a track, see something to tell me that it's a that it's an animal that's worthy of going after, and then I just know it came through. I mean, it might be bedding a mile from there. Right. It might have done that at night. And you think about it, too. I mean, people get so fixated on sign. A, de- a deer um, is, you know, up about, what, a half hour, 45 minutes before dark. Doesn't move very far at all. And it's a little suspicious when he gets up, right? So he's not he's not in his normal mode. He's still a little, you know worried about what's going on as darkness is coming. And then in the morning, he's trying to get back to bed and usually they're not doing a lot in the morning unless maybe it's rut, right? So when you see that sign, I mean, 95% of the time it's made at night. So what time at night? I mean, was it made at midnight and that deer traveled a mile to get there? So, I mean, I want to see sign, don't get me wrong. But the sign alone doesn't do do a whole lot for me, especially in the small properties like you're talking. Mm-hmm. So I want to know that the buck's there. So a lot of sign, like a heavy trail, the same tracks back and forth, and you have sign. And it's going into an area or it's coming out of an area that I know to be bedding. Now you're talking. 
So if I know that there's a trail that's coming out of bedding, it's a place I want to hunt. I'm sliding in there and take a look and there's scrapes coming out of it, rubs coming out of it, and it's coming out of a bed and there's a pretty good chance when I set up, the buck that did that is going to come waltzing out. But if it's just on the edge of a field, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. Gotcha. Okay. That makes total sense. Now, to kind of further this scenario, let's say you do find, you know, you found this this scrape with a track that you're like, it, it intrigues you. So then you find, let's say, a well-beaten trail that those tracks are in. Are you, and this is in season, are you, you know, with the small areas, kind of a pressured, pressured, you know, spot too. You got pressure around you, a lot of hunters, highly pressured. Are you concerned at all about blowing any deer out of there or scent you know just kind of because you kind of you got to put the boots on the ground to realize the signs there to even work you know figure out if it's worthy Mm -hmm. so are you worried about the scent in the in the pressure that you're putting on it that you might blow this deer that you see the tracks of out of here well you know again i just want before we get into that i just want to relate back to what we were talking about earlier Generally, I'm not going to be in that scenario because if it's that small and that delicate of an area, I watched it first and I saw the animal. Okay. You know, or, you know what I'm saying? Yep. But now let's just say I was on that trip that you were on for two weeks and I come back and I, I, I got a couple of days to hunt for gun season starts or something. I want to get in there. Yep. I walk in and I find that trail. Okay. Now I got to take an educated guess knowing that property, whether or not that buck's going to make it to where I'm standing in daylight or where is he bedded? And how am I going to hunt them? You know, and I'm going to fall back into what I know about the farm. And like we said earlier, every situation is different. I you can't really give an answer without looking at the property and looking at the, the trail, right? Yeah, yep. Maybe, I, maybe I'd set up right there. Maybe, maybe I'd set up, you know, there's spots where I know that if I see, you know, good sign in a spot that I can say, oh, man, I need to be a half mile from here. And you might think I'm crazy, but I know that area so well that I know where the bucks are coming from. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Over time. So, I mean, every, every situation is different. It just is. Is there a, and I know I'm probably, everybody's looking for this black and white answer, this cut and dry, like you need to do this, you need to do that. But when you're looking at sign, whether it be anytime pre-scouting or in-season scouting, is there a certain amount of sign that it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is, I'm in it. Like this is big, this is big buck territory right here. Is there like, you know, a certain amount of it that to really get you going that, you know, you have to be there. It's not about the amount. It's about where it's at. It's the location. And, um, to further that most of the time when I find a lot of sign, like say you're looking at a bed and there's just rubs torn up coming out of there. And it's real obvious usually a two-year-old sometimes a three-year-old okay big bucks just don't leave that amount of sign coming out of bedding areas um and where they do leave a lot of sign is usually where they're at at night um one thing that fools a lot of people is like um you get these um aspens you know what an aspen is it's hard yep. bark trees that grow into low areas yep deer big bucks can hardly walk past one of those without rubbing them so you find a patch of those and they will be tore up like crazy. You'll have a hundred rubs in there. And people will think that that's the hottest spot to hunt in the world because of all those rubs. But the deer walk by uh, a patch of oaks just as much. They just don't rub them. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Yep. It's just that every time they walk over there, they rub them damn things because they like the rubble. Yep. So all that sign doesn't really mean jack to me. It just tells me that there's a deer in the area I want to go after, which is important. That is an important piece of the puzzle. I mean, if I get into a, a farm, I've never been there before, and I go scout it, and there ain't a rub on that thing that's of a worthy buck, and I don't see a worthy track, I'm leaving. I'm not even hunting. Yeah. So sign tells me, okay, I'm on the right farm. But scouting puts me in the spots. I got to I gotta have that. To, to hunt sign, I have to have the sign coming out of bedding. If that makes sense. Yep. I mean, literally... The point I'm trying to make is most of the time when you kill a mature buck, at least when I do, I'm killing it within 200 yards of his bed. And if I'm getting any further than that, it, there's no legal light to shoot him. Right. 
So it's all about pushing that limit to, on, on the bedding, um, which is, you, you know, people don't realize when they're on a small farm, like, like, like what you're talking, mm-hmm. just about every time you see a buck, you're seeing them within 200 yards of this bedding, whether you want to believe it or not, except for during the rut when they start cruising all over the place. You know, they've just gotten up and come out. So why, why is it in your opinion that, you know, like a two-year-old coming out of his bed or I got out of a bedding area and there's all these rubs just coming out of a bedding area. Why is it, you know, a younger deer? Why aren't the mature deer doing that? Well, they're all jacked up and uh, trying to prove themselves. They're like a teenager coming out trying to, trying to prove something. Um, I don't know exactly. I'm not a deer, but I do know that the older ones just start rubbing less. Um, one thing that'll help you out there in, in might raise an eyebrow to it, but I found it to be true and I've studied it quite a bit is the height of the rub makes a big difference. Okay. Because a two, a two year old, um, can do a lot of damage to a tree and they can damage a tree as big around as your leg and they can rub the hell out of it. But what you'll see is that rub will be lowered to the ground. It'd be like, like knee high, mm-hmm. you know, to the center of the rub will be knee high. You might get time marks up like, you know, where your waist is or something, but the center rub portion of a solid tree, I'll be like where your knee is. But when they start getting up to like your thigh, that's when it's like three years old. When I start seeing them above thigh high, they're usually mature pox. And it's proved true with the animals I've killed out of veterinarians that have rubs like that. And, um, and from what I've seen on trail cams, studying that, the height of the rub seems to have a lot more to do than uh, the diameter. And when you start seeing all those heavy rubs coming out of those bed areas, they're usually those low rubs. Um, one thing, though, if you have a higher population of big bucks on your property, um, you are going to see a higher number of rubs coming out of those bed areas. Most of the areas I'm hunting have a low density of big bucks. Um, so I have bed areas that don't even get rubs, and there's big bucks bed in there. Um, that farm I was just telling you about, there's a, a primary bed in area on there that probably 75% of the time we see a big buck there, that's where he comes out of. And a lot of, a lot of years there'd be one or two rubs around it. Some years there's not even a rub around it. I mean, this year, I think I've seen, um, three bucks that were at least three years old come out of that bed in area. Okay. And I can't think of one rub I've seen coming out of that, that bed area. There's rubs on the farm, but not at that bed area where, where, they're, where they're bedding. The competition is what makes them bet the rubber on those bed areas as you're competing for the bed area. Yep. And if a mature buck's in there and say he's four and the majority of the bucks in your farm are two, the, those bucks, the two-year-olds won't bed there. He'll kick them out and they won't rub there because that's, that's an aggressive move towards him. So that area is not really going to get rubbed because he's got no competition. But where they're betting, they'll rub. So you might be hunting where all the rubs are, and the spot you need to hunt is not where the rubs are. It's another reason you got to understand the betting on a farm rather than the sign. Yep. And that's that's where I have an an issue, too, with just trying to figure out betting. I mean, I think every guy might have that, too, unless you're – you know, really seasoned like yourself, like, you know, been in a lot of areas where there's, you know, a lot of different types of bedding, but, you know, I can, I can try to figure, I can find beds. I can find, you know, solo buck beds. I found them before on, you know, one acres, this one acre, or this five acres. Mm-hmm. I found them before in big beds, like, um, and actually in this one acre timber, I, I did a lot of hinge cutting in it to try to make it very, uh, you know, thicken it up because it, it was literally a deer mm-hmm. could a deer could run through it in two bounds, and I needed the deer to come in there and just you know need to spend some time there. I wanted them to come in there sure. and have to work or work around there, and I was going to hunt the perimeters of it, and that's what I've been doing. I I don't hunt it much at all. Last year I never sat in it once. Um, I had an Iowa and a Kansas tag too, where I spent all my time. But um, you know, the year before I only hunted it twice. Um, but in the middle, I made it like a little opening in there, but it's good cover around it. And 
Uh, I actually put a trail cam. It never leaves the tree all year because I wanted deer to be used to it. Uh, and I didn't want them to be like, oh shit, what is that kind of thing? That camera has taught me more about bucks and mature bucks and bedding and where and how they move through, you know, thick timber in the last three years than I've ever learned in my life. I've had three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old bucks in daylight come in here and bed in there. And I had a scenario where a buck came in there and I have a picture sequence. There's like 30 some pictures. And one day he bedded down right in the middle of this thing, fell asleep. He slept there for six and a half hours. He got up, stretched out, turned around, bedded right back down. So I went to Weather Underground and I checked out what the historical debt, because I found this after season. This wasn't a cell cam. So mm-hmm. I found it after season. I went on Weather Underground. And I'm like, what happened that day for him to get up and move? And, turn? and that's what it was. It was the wind shift. So then I'm, the gears are starting to turn like, how the hell am I going to, how, how am I going to hunt this? It is one acre of timber. You know, it is tiny, but it is thick. Um, and, and if I'm not there, if I'm coming in at, let's say noon, one o'clock, that deer was bedded there all day. And it was a three-year-old buck, you know, a buck that I would have killed. It was probably a 130 inch deer. Um, I mean, that's what I'm looking for in this area. And I would have busted him out of there. You know, so it's like I almost created something good, but something bad in the in the sense that it's hard to hunt. Um, well, if it's that small, you can't hunt them on the outskirts when you can zone. Well, I could, but the the only thing is, is my own. I have to to get to it. I'm coming through a wide open field every time, so he can see and me can see coming for a long way mm-hmm. away. Yeah, that's my only problem. And I've got a wooded fence row that I can come down. And if the wind's right, I can, because I have permission from the neighbors to just walk on their side of the fence. And they'll, they said I could walk on their side of the fence, but still even, um, it's just, I don't want to do any mobile sets because I always do a, 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 or, you know, a, a set stand in there because for me to go in there and start clanging around, um, and I make it sound like I'm really loud, but still, I mean, you're going to make a little bit noise. I like to just climb up and be in. Um, but it's just difficult. I've, he's not the only one. I mean, I'll get in how you're talking about older bucks coming and taking over that same, that same year. I had a four-year-old come in and kick. I've got video trail cam videos and pictures of a four-year-olds coming in and kicking two-year-olds out. And he like this one acre is his domain. Like he doesn't leave it. And it's the same one acre that I kicked that four-year-old up off of during gun season when I walked up there. So it's a magnet. It's just, really difficult to hunt do you own the farm uh my brother-in-law does he's a dairy farmer and he doesn't hunt at all so it's it's basically like i he lets me do what i what i want to do it as long as i don't touch the crops well, the, the, the reason i ask is because if you could um create cover or something so that you can get to a spot where you can hunt would be probably ideal yep yeah and, that, and that's i was gonna you know maybe do some switchgrass um or just go in there and just on one of the edges, so it'd be the the north edge. I can come in on the north edge, and there's some good trees on that edge, and I can shoot the whole, basically the whole one acre, and I can climb up a tree. And if something's bedded in the middle where this is at, I can almost posit, I can almost get in the tree without anything seeing me or hearing me. Um, but I would probably have to go in there and do a couple more hinge cuts just to do like a slash cut, just to just for like a wall, just so I can walk in on the edge, which I could do for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's crazy. It, it, I did not expect the deer to use that as much as they have and how they do. I mean, and so this is another question I have for you. Um, I, what I hear and, and read a lot from, from guys is they say bucks and does, they won't bed together, which I, I get that. But this this little open patch, like there'll be like today I'll have a group of eight does bedding in it, like right in this mm-hmm. little, it's like a 10 by 10 patch. It's just a little opening. The next day I'll have a four-year-old bedding in it, buck. Um, is that something that like is like a anomaly or is that just like, you no, know, I have that all the time. Um, usually, you know, usually if it's group doe bedding, it's, it's a little different than the bucks. Like it's, it's not far from it. Um, but uh, lone does and does with fawns, like a doe with one or two fawns, it's 
not in a group, we'll bed right into buck beds when the bucks aren't there. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I talk about doe bedding specifically, I'm talking about a group of does. Okay. And they will bed more open and more in a circle fashion, each facing a different direction, and work as a group to watch for oncoming danger. But often those uh, those doe bedding areas will be real close to buck bedding areas. And when that's the case, that can be an incredible spot to rut. Yep. And that's <laughs> that's another scenario I have. I can't hunt this during the rut because my job, I actually – I produce television hunting television shows um so i'm always gone filming or hunting somewhere i haven't hunted the rut in michigan since 2012 so all my time has to be you know uh early you're making a mistake as a filmer there because uh (laughs) me personally i'd rather watch you kill one in michigan than iowa (laughs) yeah well and this year is so last year i had an iowa tag and killed deer of a lifetime i killed he was 186 inch just seven and a half year old giant um i figured him out in six days and ended up killing him it was awesome it was so much fun so cool a deer of a lifetime and a deer that a memory i'll have forever and then in kansas i got to kill a really cool buck uh older deer as well but that was like the year I'm like, okay, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to hunt a little bit out of state this time. And then, so this next year coming in Michigan, I've already got, I got, uh, I got a deer <laughs> pinned down. I, I, I know he's alive. Um, and I, he was pretty good last year and I think he's going to be even better than this year. But, um, that's my goal is to, is to kill something in this area on, on camera. Um, that's, you know, a three or four year old, that's, it's a good deer. And my goal is to kill it in this one acre. Like that's my whole goal this year. So yeah. And that's the other thing too. And I've heard you talk about, you know, hunting it the right way and, and staying out of these little areas because the pressure is what kills these little areas. And, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you got to strike at the right time. Um, so I'll tell you something once, um, um, just kind of go on to your uh, topic there a little bit. The biggest buck I ever killed, I watched that buck bed in the same spot over and over again for two years. Every time there's a west wind, he was bedded there. I picked up one of his sheds out of the bed, and it was an old overgrown pasture that had grass all the way around this this willow tree and a couple of brushy trees. And the willow tree was kind of bent over and made like a little bridge, and he'd bed right underneath that, that bridge. And you can sit back from a distance and watch him get up and move because it's a real open area, kind of like what you're talking, right? Yep. And it just frustrated the hell out of me because I couldn't get near him. And there's a couple times where, you know, you'd think about what can I do? What can I do? And that's the kind of mind I got. I'm always kind of like contemplating how to make a move. What do I got to do? And I, I try to talk myself into making some sort of move. I mean, I can't just let it sit that I can't kill the thing or something. I can't just give up. So, um, there's a couple times where I like, would, I'd walk past this thing on this dirt road where I'd step off and just look at the trails. And if you stepped off that trail by 10 feet, when that deer would come through, if you'd see it from where you're, you're sitting, he would freak out when he'd hit your scent off of the dirt road. Really? Like he was okay with you walking that dirt path, but if you step 10 feet off of it, he'd freak out. So, um, I thought about trying to hunt the dirt road, but there's like no trees there, no nothing. And then I started thinking, well, what if, you know, kind of wind shift one day or something and the wind would change and could I get, get in there? And I started thinking that maybe I could crawl up with a gun and get up to these cattails and kill them. And on Thanksgiving day during our gun season, we're all getting ready for Thanksgiving and a front moved in and a west wind turned to east. And I thought, holy crap, I got to go kill that thing. Mm-hmm. And I I pissed my whole family off going out there. <laughs> but I literally put the, uh, a little patch of cattails that's, you know, smaller than a car between me and that deer. And I bungeed a uh, shotgun to my back and I crawled on my hands and knees through water. And I even had to break ice up to those cattails. And I I got that gun off my back, and I rose up on my knees. Here the buck is, I mean, I think it was 20, 30 yards. So you had no idea he was there? You just were hoping he was there? Not until I, yeah, exactly. Holy cow. When I rose up, he's there. 
and his eyes got real big. He looked at me, I looked at him, and I shot him right in his bed. Wow. And all I could think was for two years, I could have did that with my bow, but I never had the balls to do it. Yep. I never believed in myself. And the only thing stopping you from killing a buck in that little woodlot is believing in yourself. I mean, I, I believe that you could find a way to crawl up to there, get close, get somewhere around there, and do what you got to do. The trick is making the right move at the right time because the first move is going to be your kill move. Because mm-hmm. once that thing knows he's being hunted, good luck. But if you can, you know, set up some tr- uh, cell cams or yep. sit back and observe a few times, get a pattern going. Then when you think you got things right, if you got to crawl on your hands and knees or or if you got to get in there, you know, two hours before daylight and climb a tree and go way out of your way so it doesn't cross your scent trail, there's always a way. You just have to put your mind to it. Yeah. And that kind of leads to another question, too, is like you you said you go in there before daylight in the morning. Is that is that something you would do? I mean, you're going through, you know, ag fields to get there. Would you push the fact and go in there in, in the morning and do that? Well, it depends. If I thought he was feeding in those egg fields, no, I wouldn't do it. And if it wasn't, and if it wasn't um, rut, I wouldn't do it. Okay. Um, I would, I would stick to evenings. Um, a lot of times those bucks are bedded before daylight, even during rut, but during rut, what they'll do is they'll get back up and they'll move again. Once daylight comes and like, go look for some does or something and bed again. But you, you find them bedding before daylight pretty consistently, mature bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so evenings are probably better, but. All right. Yeah, that's. That's what, and I mean, my favorite time to hunt, honestly, is probably those last couple weeks of October, especially here in Michigan. That's mm-hmm. when I've seen the biggest deer on their feet in in my area yeah. here in Michigan. Is just they just they like you know you know and everybody else knows they just get stupid, and you, you know for for me um um about uh, a week to two weeks before everybody says it's peak rut time to hunt is my favorite time to hunt, no matter where you're hunting. That's when people with skill, you know, when skill meets deer that move earlier, you still pattern them. You can still hunt them. You can still do good. And where people need that rut time is when they need a deer that just does stupid shit and they can kill them out of any tree. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. Oh yeah. But yep. if you got skill before they actually go into rut and they're starting to get worked up, they start exposing themselves. They start leaving sign coming out of the bedding areas. They start, you know, coming out earlier and moving further and they get easier to kill. So I really like that uh, last two weeks of October too. Yep. That's awesome. Well, very cool. Dan, I, I want to be conscious of your time. I know we've been on doing this an hour. Um, I feel like we only scratched the surface, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you coming on and doing this and, I'd really like to do it again sometime and maybe dive in deeper with some other tactics and other topics because the betting thing to me is I want to learn more about betting and I feel like I'm learning and learning every year um, and I think you're the you're the guy to learn from. You're, you're the legend that of the bed hunters that I know of. So, um, But thank you very much for doing this and taking your time out on this evening to, to do it. No problem. It was fun. You know, where could everybody find you? Can you kind of give a plug of all your social channels and everything and your YouTube channel again? Like, where, where can everybody find your content and all your information? Yeah, just um, Google Dan Infault or Hunting Beast, and I'll come up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dan. And again, uh, hopefully this next year treats you well. And maybe will it find you back in Michigan again? I know you were in Michigan last year. Are you going to come over again? Uh, I might. The wind blows me. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you very much, man, and you have a good evening. All right, you too. I mean, information overload. I love it. You guys are probably going to have to listen to this again. Hopefully, you guys took out of this podcast as much as I did because there's a lot of information in here, and I loved it. So thank you to Dan for coming on and doing this. Uh, if you guys could, please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating. So go down to those little five stars, click the five star that'd be huge and leave some feedback a little comment there you can make it an anonymous as well so nobody has to know who you are or what you're doing i just need some comments so 
appreciate it, guys. Also, don't forget, go to Kiefer Brothers underscore Humanimal YouTube channel to check out all of our stuff on that side of things. A lot of cool videos. Stay healthy out there. I know this COVID-19 is still going around. So what better way to binge podcast and then go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to it, and then also watch all the content. So thank you guys for that. And uh, we'll be right here next episode right on the Fall Podcast. Thank you.